Praise God. Praise God. That's so good. So good. Thank you. Yeah, it's beautiful. I believe Laura is in kids. Okay. Yeah, if you see her, give her a hug and uh, give her a cheek-cheek kiss. That's what I call them. Give her a kiss and just say, God bless you. Your story impacted my life. Go ahead and tell her that. She is phenomenal. And uh, I just got the opportunity and the privilege to uh, officiate their wedding ceremony, her and Louie. God has truly brought that, that couple full circle. And uh, they're just getting started. We're excited about it. Uh, man, another thing, it is our super admin's birthday. Um, Megan Condrogianis. <clears throat> and um, man, I just had a, a meeting with her. We have our task meetings once a week. She comes over to the house. And because and, uh, I'm, I'm ashamed to say this, but I have plenty of time. I'm taking my time today. Is that okay? We'll, we'll be out, but I, I'm taking all my time today. Um, we just had our task meeting, and like, I'm ashamed to say this, but my inbox is like uh, 1,800 uh, unopened, unread emails. Ash, don't, don't look at me like that. Don't judge me. Don't judge me, Ash. And uh, she was saying, hey, I want to clean that out for you, uh, me and Pastor Kyra. And I said, no, because you never know if I have surprises or something planned for you. And she said, Pastor, you ain't got no surprises. And I'm like, she's kind of right. I do think about y'all, but uh, honest confession, I'm trying to activate so I can surprise you. And, and anyway, that's just a personal journey and struggle of mine. So, but no, uh, God bless her. If it was not for Megan, I don't know where we would be as a church. So... If you see her, give her a hug and a cheek-cheek and tell her happy birthday next Sunday or so. Bring her a gift card if you can. Let's clap it up for her because it is because of her faithfulness that this church moves forward. And she leads an amazing team who does so many things uh, Monday through Saturday that many of us know nothing about. But uh, we thank God for the A-plus team as well. Thank you. Give our A-plus team a hand clap. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, I got a few announcements, and I don't have them written down, so um, give me the space to be kind of, you know, I'm going to be raw. So anyway, our first announcement is this. What is our first announcement? I think I want to talk about, thank you, super steps, because I didn't write them down, and she's going to, Megan's going to get on me for that. Uh, A two-week journey. If God is calling you to volunteer here or become a superhero, uh, we believe that God has placed gifts on the inside of you. Uh, There's a passion. There's a burden. And God is calling you to serve in order to change the world, starting right here in Gaithersburg. You can do that through Highlight Church. Uh, This one is special because it's our first one that we're opening up to uh, 6th through 12th grade. And so if you are in middle school or high school, we'd uh, we'd love to have you. Uh, Today can be the first day that you join us. Today we'll be talking about the history of the church. We'll share our vision, our values our, our doctrine, what we believe the scripture to be. And uh, next week, you'll be taking a gifts and personality test so you can discover what your spiritual gifts are, what your aptitudes are in order to serve the kingdom of God. And uh, I hear that it's going to be a pretty full room. But uh, if you have about an hour after service to join us, please do. Let's, let's pack it out even more. Our next announcement is this. Wow. Okay, good. So we can celebrate that. Um, wonderful. We are turning two years old, uh, really on, yeah, yeah, really on October 16th, but, you know, Sunday falls on the 14th, so it would be weird to celebrate it after, right? so we're going to do it next Sunday on the 14th, and, uh, it's going to be great. Um, it's going to be great in here, but I'm excited for what's about to go down in HL Kids. So please, if, if, if you know and you have friends who are looking for a church, but they may not come, um, you know, like try to reach them through the kids. There are different ways to bait people to come to church. <laughs> a lot of you are here and you didn't want to be here, but they, someone baited you. Just come for me or I'll give you lunch or whatever. <laughs> like what's going on back there is going to be amazing yeah. next week. And uh, we start a brand new series next week called Dream Big. 
Dream big. Um, I believe that we are here because uh, a few people, uh, Pastor Kyra and our creative director, Chris Condrogianis, chose to dream big. And uh, I just kind of latched on to them and, and wrote it out. And so we are here, and I'll share a little bit about that today. But, um, man, two years, knowing that we moved here with nine people and two kids. In our first interest meeting, four people showed up, and we're like, all uh, right, well, let's just keep moving forward. So we're two years old, and a lot of great things are happening. What's our next announcement? Do I have a third one? Good. Trunk or Treat, October 28th. We can celebrate that. You guys, come on, don't be crusty and stiff. Don't be stiff now. This is exciting. I get on y'all Instagram, y'all at concerts, living it up. Come before the presence of God. you don't jump around and move or do something all right I ain't gonna preach right now it, it, I don't get it this guy on stage doesn't even know you and you're paying him hundreds of dollars and you're yeah woo! and God who's given you breath and strength and money and friends if you don't jump around and do something for the Lord okay sorry because I got a lot of notes today, and we need to get out on time. So, anyway. Drake, come to D.C. <laughs> and you come before God. You better do some Drake when, when praise and work. See? See what I'm talking about? No. All right. Sorry. Chunk or treat. October 28th. Um, join us after the worship experience. For fun, oh, you got TVs too. For fun, I'm getting out of the way. For fun, community and candy. Um, please sign up for this if you're interested in decorating your trunk. Uh, we need uh, anywhere between 15 and 20. We're going to line you up out in the parking lot so when the kids come out, it's, it's you know, they, they'll see it. Um, we are asking that you would stay away from the goons and the goblins and the ghosts and the skeletons. And so more specifically, uh, if your kid has a favorite superhero or Disney character, uh, please dress them up in that for church. And um, please sign up, decorate your trunk. We are going to provide the candy. You decorate the trunk. Okay, sounds good? Yeah. All right, sign up table is right out here when you go. Don't, don't go out this way after service. Go, go out that way. So, anyway. I love you guys. Y'all ready to go? Yeah. All right, let's preach. Let's preach. Let's preach. Y'all might have to add five minutes onto my clock. Don't worry, I'll take it. All right, so, um, yeah, I, I remember when uh, Pastor Kyra and I, we conceived Judah, and um, it was a very exciting time. We had just got married, and about two months in, um, <laughs> all right, anyway, we conceived Judah, uh, spare you the details, and um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I feel great about today. Man, I'm ready for next week's series, Dream Big. It's going to be awesome. But I got to finish. So, uh, yeah, we conceived Judah, and it was exciting. Um, you know, she, the belly was starting to grow, and uh, around month two, it's like, babe, you're pregnant. I know you're pregnant, but are you carrying one or two or three? Like, how many you're carrying? And so the doctor would look, and it came to be known that she was carrying too much fluid. And then uh, week three, week four, just just got bigger and bigger. And so we went, uh, not week three, week four, month three, month four. So we went around the fifth month, and the doctor did, you know, he did his scan or whatever it's called. And he just came back in the room, and he said, um, uh, Kyra, if you don't stop working, uh, you stand a chance of, really putting your life in jeopardy and the baby's life. And so we're like, those are not the words we wanted to hear. Because at the time, I was only bringing in so much income as an associate pastor. And uh, she was bringing in about 85% of our income. And so the doctor wrote up his orders, and he said, you know, we got to put you on bed rest. And so kind of knowing that that was going to be the report, um, you didn't really want to hear it, or you didn't really expect it. You didn't know it was really going to come, but you were kind of ready, but you weren't fu- fully ready, and so it came. 
And so within a week's time, we were dead broke. We already had a four-year-old who was in school and now we're pregnant. We're dead broke and our account is always in the red. And within a month and a half, we're moving into my mother-in-law's house. And it's, and you know, as a man, it's like, man, how can I allow us to kind of, you know, sink like this? What am I doing? What is this? This ministry stuff is not worth it. Like, I'm ministering to people who make more money than me. You know, like, I can't, I can't do this. I gotta, I gotta quit the ministry. It's not, in, it's not important. As people going to heaven isn't as important as making a paycheck. I gotta, I gotta quit the ministry and, and so, but my wife would not allow me to stop on the call and on the move of God, and we just kind of took it on the head, and we moved in with my mother-in-law, and uh, it was what it was. And my question is to you today is, if, you want, if you're taking notes, th- this is the question. What do you do when the worst thing that can happen actually happens? What do you do when the worst thing that can happen actually happens? And uh, what, do you, what do you do when, when the layoff happens? Um, what do you do when you are fired beyond reason? You can't find a reason. You did everything you knew to do. What do you do when the infidelity occurs in the marriage or in the relationship? <laughs> what do you do when the financial crisis hits? What do you do on the other side of a poor decision? Because you may make a poor decision today and it you know, a year later may finally come into fruition. But what do you do when the result of that poor decision finally comes home? Today, we're going to take a journey with Jairus. He's a synagogue leader. This means that he's a Jewish man who does not believe in Jesus. So a synagogue was a place where Jews would come to worship together. So there would be reading of scripture, then a teacher would sit down to teach the word of God, and Jesus would often find himself in synagogues teaching. And so Jairus uh, is about to, he's going to frantically approach Jesus as Jesus is just getting on land. He's getting off of a boat, and he's going to request that Jesus would come to heal his dying daughter. daughter. His daughter hasn't died yet, but she's in the process of dying. And Jesus says, okay, as Jesus does whenever we're in pain, whenever we need help, whenever we're hurting, Jesus, in fine fashion, he responds, and he's on his way. He's going to do something about it. He's going to see about your situation. He's going to see about your pain. He's going to see about your shortage. He's going to see about your emotions. He's going to see about your money. He's going he's to see about it because Jesus is a faithful God. He's a faithful Savior. It's who he is. It's his character. So as Jesus does, he goes and he says, all right, I'm going to follow you. Where's, where's your daughter? On the way, Jesus encounters a woman suffering 12 years with constant bleeding. Many of you who have been in church, you know the story. And what she does is she's crawling through the crowd as Jesus is going to see about Jairus' daughter, who is 12 years old, mind you. This woman has the issue of blood for 12 years. He's going to see about a 12-year-old girl, and she crawls through the crowd, and she fights through the crowd because she's desperate. And when you're desperate, it takes desperate measures to get to God, or you can just come in here like this. Or you can be desperate. And so she crawls through the crowd, and she just touches the hem of his garment just the bottom of his garment. And the Bible says that power flowed from Jesus. And, and, and so he's walking, and, and I love it in the King James Version. The Bible says that virtue has left me. Ooh, Lord, how powerful is this, man? He said virtue has left me. But, but virtue has left you? What do you mean? You got people all around you, Jesus. You got people bumping up against you and what do you mean power has left you because Jesus understands I can be surrounded by people who just do church I'm gonna go this side or I can be touched by someone who really has the faith to believe that I am all they need and then virtue proceeds from me and so virtue left him and he stops to address this woman He says, who touched me? She says, it was I. And he says, your faith has made you well. 
And as he's talking to this woman, the presence of God is arrested, solely just focused on this woman. And Jairus's men come and tell him, hey, Jairus, it. there's no need to bother the master anymore. Your daughter has died. And so we're going to pick up the story here in Mark 5. Mark 5, verse 35 says this. Today's message is entitled, Worst Case Scenario. And we're going to pick up 535, and it says this. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. I'm coming. I'm coming. Like I'm the master multitasker. I know she dead. Eh. Uh, that's over. Death is overrated. I got this. So what I want to do is I want to give you five things that when you find yourself in the middle of the worst case scenario, maybe, maybe you're in a season where everything is all good, but I've learned a long time ago, life is, is cyclic. It, it's, you're either in a storm, you've just come out of one, or you're about to go into one. So I want to give you five things that you can do when you find yourself in the worst case scenario. Number one is this, face your fears with faith. You got to face your fear with faith. We just recently went uh, to Harper's Ferry. And uh, myself and our directional team, we, we get away every year for what we call a staff advance, just to get away and, and to focus in on God, what he's telling us, where he's leading us. And uh, part of the activities that were involved there were uh, whitewater rafting, in which I told you about a couple weeks ago, and zip lining. And if any of you know anything about Pastor Kyra, she is afraid of heights. Anyone afraid of heights? Kind of makes you queasy. Yeah. And so uh, we go to this pole, and it has a platform about the diameter of me. And I'm like five foot ten. Five, eight and a half without these shoes. <laughs> well, I'm five, ten. We're all insecure. Don't worry about it. I'm five, ten. Six foot. Anyway, Chris, don't come up here. I'm six foot. And don't stand next to me. And so we go up on this platform, and this sucker it has a makeshift staircase. And it's like 30 feet tall. And so when we get up there, we're like rocking and rocking. And Pastor Kyra's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I said, baby, you all right? Going to make it? And so the thing is, is every, you, go, you go a short line, and you go to a taller platform in a short line. And there's one where you just walk across it. And the only barriers you have are, are rope, and it's like 100 feet. And you can look down. And so Kyra is just, oh, my God. And so, uh, you know, eventually we get to the end of it, and I'm like, babe, how are you doing? How, how'd it go? And she's like, oh, my God, I had the best time. I had the best time of my life, and I enjoyed it. I said, would you do it again? She said, I don't know about that, but I had the best time of my life. And so when you face your fears with faith, you're telling God that you trust his plan and his character. Because if you don't face your fear, you stand the chance of being stuck in a posture of discouragement and defeat. You got to face it. What, what is that talk that you need to have with that person that you've been afraid to have? Be it your supervisor or your significant other or your child, God is calling you to have that talk. Because if you don't, you stand the chance of remaining in a posture of defeat and discouragement and lack and limit. What is that prayer that you're, you're afraid to pray? Because you just don't know if God's going to answer it or if he's going to uh, meet your expectation or, fill, or fulfill your expectation. You have to face that fear. And when you face the fear, you open the door for God's power to enter in. Hebrews 11.6 actually says this. It says, um, oh, there it is. And it is impossible to please God without faith. 
Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So in essence, you're saying I'm going to face the heartbreak because within facing the heartbreak, I'm showing that I trust that God is going to reward my boldness and my belief in him to heal the heartbreak. You're saying I'm going to face this crisis this health crisis. I'm going to pray. I'm going to believe. I'm going to speak life. I'm going to face it. What do we have to do? What medications? What therapy? We're going to get around this thing. We're going to get on top of it. We're going to pray it through. We're going to praise God. I'm going to get desperate. I'm going to face this illness. Many of you feel as though you're far from the will of God because you've made some poor decisions in your past, maybe even last night. But as soon as you make the decision to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to face this dysfunction, I'm going to face the addiction, I'm going to trust God that he can deliver me and turn this thing around, you begin to open the door for the Lord to step into your process. You've got to face your fear. If you don't, you stand the chance of remaining in the posture of discouragement. Mark 5.37 says this, Then Jesus stopped the crowd, and he wouldn't let anyone go without him with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Number two, when you're in a worst-case scenario, you got to surround yourself with the right people. This has like been the fourth time in this series, five-week series, that we've mentioned the right people. I think it's because God is trying to say something to our church. Surround yourself with the right people. I remember uh, my grandmother. Man, anyone love grandma? Got a good grandma? Okay, about 20% of y'all. All right. Uh, well, my grandma was great. She was my only grandparent, actually. I didn't know my other three. And, uh, man, her presence and her love, um, her strength, her support, uh, she was the one who actually introduced me to Christ. More importantly than, than Christ. Sorry. No, that's not. What am I saying? Her cooking was bomb. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> not more importantly than Jesus. He... Gave her the ability to cook. <laughs> Notice I'm trying to warp you in like Jesus is everything. That's what the series is about. Jesus is everything. Don't say nothing about my Jesus. He everything. I'm loose today. I'm treating this like a Bible study. So no, man, you know, she was awesome. And I moved back home in 2011 and I went to a doctor's appointment with her. And the doctor said everything looked great. She had some cancer cells there that wanted to proliferate. And um, it was 0.0394% chance that she would, you know, become full-blown cancer patient. I said, oh, Grandma, you got this. It's nothing. You're good. You're good. Yeah, baby, praise the Lord. He's good. And um, we just proceeded on with life. About three months later, she just stopped working. And she was fatigued, tired, and she was just in her room all the time. And I found myself helping her to the bathroom and so on and so forth. If you've ever had a sick parent, a sick grandparent, you know how it is. And um, within a week's time, she went from being okay to very bad to in the ICU. After being admitted into the ICU six hours later, dead. Three months from when the doctor told her, you're good. You're good. And, and the thing about it is, is, is you, you saw the progression of she being great to she getting sick. And it's like you don't really want to believe the worst of the worst. You don't really want to believe that it's going to happen. But it's going down. And then I remember going to the hospital with my mom, and they took us into that room. I, I knew we were at the ICU, but they said, hey, we need to call you back in this room. And I sat down with my mom, and she's like, we're in that room. I said, what do you mean, that room? What is this room? And 10 minutes later, the doctor comes in and he says, it's not looking good for your grandma. The thing about it is, is that crisis and bad news, it never really announces specifically when it's going to show up. It gives you some indicators, maybe even some clues, clues, clues. It gives you some clues. But it does not, like, tell you, like, I'm coming tomorrow at 10.58 a.m. with the worst news that you can ever hear. But this is one thing I've come to find out. Even though 
bad news always comes at the right time. You can overcome anything with the right people. And so Jesus says, Peter, James, and John, come with me. He has 12 disciples. He has another 70, and he has 120, and there are thousands of people following him. And out of all the people that are following him, he says, Peter, James, and John, come with me. Why is this? It's because they're the only three that have the faith to believe that Jesus is about to do something that he's never done before. And when you find yourself in a worst-case scenario, you need, to, you need to start getting through your roller decks, filtering out certain people, and just get around the one, the two, the three, the four, the people that believe that God can do the impossible through your life. You need people that are speaking over you. You need people that are going to pray for you. You need people that are going to stand with you. You need people that believe God for the impossible in your life. And this is what I want to tell you. If you can't find anyone, you need to stand alone until God sends you someone. You need to stand alone. Surround yourself with the right people. Most extremely successful people, most fulfilled people keep their circle small. Because at best, everyone else likes you, but they still doubt you. When I do that, just know that I'm preaching to myself. At best, they like you. But they still doubt you. And they be all up on your Instagram. But they won't have the wherewithal to come to you and say, I'm with you. And I believe in you. And you are a leader. And you are a world changer. And you are, there's something big on the inside of you. You're going to get out of this. Yeah, you, you need to surround yourself with the right people. What, I, I like to call it this, with mature, faith-filled people who just believe stupid things for your life. Like dumb, stupid things. Like when I say, oh, Lord, dumb, stupid things. Like, like personally for me, when I say we're going to be 20 locations in 20 years, I'm not looking for 200 of y'all to agree. I'm looking for two of y'all to agree. Because it's the two of y'all that I can rock with and we can actually do this thing. We can change lives. We can see the power of God, the miracles of God, the might of God move across this region. All I need is about two of y'all to be dumb, stupid with your faith. You need people like that, man. Who will even borderline lie to you. Now, I know you ain't all that good at that, but yeah, you can do it because it just does something for you. So Jesus like Peter, James, and John, because I know that y'all believe that I can do this, and you need to surround yourself with the right people. And Mark 5, 38 says this. He says, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much, <laughs> Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and welling. And it says this here, he went inside and asked, why all this commotion? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. When you find yourself in a worst case scenario, speak life, not death. The reason I laughed when I was reading, I'm, I'm going to explain that on the next point, because these people are off the chain. I'll, I'll make that clear. Speak life and not death. The Greek word here, if you're taking notes for dead, it's defined as separation. So, and there are two forms of death that you'll find in the scripture. One is physical death. So it's when the soul leaves the body that is defined as physical death. Spiritual death is when the soul is set apart from God for all eternity. That's what you call spiritual death because God is the source of all life. So Jesus came because the Bible says that the soul that sins shall surely die. Jesus died for our sins so that we could live with God forever. You see that? The soul that sins shall die. 
Jesus died for our sins, and he provides a bridge to God the Father. So the spiritual death is to be in hell forever. And he's saying she's not dead. Her soul is not gone. She is asleep. The word asleep here in the Greek, in the original language translated here, means passive, relaxing, resting. Being asleep is a long way from being dead. So to translate what Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying that she is not dead, but she is resting in the arms of the Father. He, he, had, he had a more spiritual truth. Like, he understood the reality of the situation. He understood that this is not the worst-case scenario. This is not the end of you. This is not the end of your dreams. This is not the end of your strength. This is not the end of your daughter. She is not dead. She is resting in the arms of her father. And this is what I wanted to come and tell you today is that you feel as though many possibilities in many areas of your life is dead. You think it's gone. You think it's dead. You've lost all hope. But I just wanted to come and tell you today that God has it in the palm of his hands and he's about to breathe fresh life into it. That relationship is not dead. Your potential is not dead. Your dreams are not dead. Your faith is not dead. It's not dead. It's just in the hands of God. And he's about to breathe a fresh breath into it. The breath of life. So speak life. You understand that when you speak, you exhale. When God created Adam, what did he do? He breathed, and Adam became a living being. So when you breathe out, make sure you're breathing something that is growth and promotion and prosperity and health and positivity and faith and Jesus and miracles and might. You have to speak life over your worst-case scenario. When, when Jay-Z had epilepsy, you shall live and not die. He kept having seizures. You shall live. You shall be well. You got to speak life. And the Bible says this here in Proverbs uh, 18, or, yeah, 18, 21. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love the, to talk will reap the consequences. Not all consequences are bad. Your, your tongue is just that powerful. <laughs> I love it. Jesus, she ain't dead. She's asleep. And that's what it became. You get that? That's what it became. It became what he said. You live what you speak. You think it's what you think, because you'll say, well, I'm thinking it, and I said it. Well, once again, it's cyclic, because what you say, you think on. I'm going to always be single. Well, you will always be single. I am unattractive. Created in the image of God. God knit you in your mother's womb. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. What you're saying doesn't match up with what God said about you. So if you're unattractive and you're not saying what God said about you, you will be unattractive. My bosses never see me. My pastor never sees me. Eh. Well, your boss won't see you. Your pastor won't see you. My my kids are bad. Well, they're going to be bad. But if you speak life, they will live. They will prosper. They will stand on my shoulders. They will see further. I will be married. I will be free. I will overcome alcoholism. I will come up, overcome this sexual addiction. I, I will be a great mother. I will be a great husband. got to speak life. I will plant 20 campuses. We will give millions of dollars to outreach. We will. We will. We will. you got to speak it. What are you saying? When you're with your friends and they say dumb stuff, say, man, what are you saying, bro? Tweet that. Tweet that today. What you saying, bro? <laughs> Tweet that. It, it will be what you say. And this is the powerful thing about it. Even though Jesus chose the people that he chose to come with him, he didn't need their faith. 
because it was already was what he said it was going to be. Y'all, I'm, I'm serious as a heart attack. I know it sounds funny, but it was what he said it was. So he didn't need their faith as much as he needed them to understand the principle of speaking life. Because when he was going to die and go to heaven, they were going to need to learn in the book of Acts how to speak life. Ah, oh, man, I'm going too much, man. Let me go. Let me go. Speak life. Speak life. Oh, yeah, I had to share that. I remember when the first um, six out of seven people said no to our church plant. It was me, Pastor Kyra, and Chris, our creative director. And we just, you know, Chris is making his very primitive renderings of Highlight Church. So if you see our logo on our superheroes' um, chess, if you really study it, in which I'm sure you're not, but I want to show you something cool if you do. There's a, at the bottom there, I'm very proud of this. There's, it used to be straight, like at the base. So number one, that's a lamp, okay? So you're not, you know, what is this going on? It's cult stuff. No, it's not cult stuff. That's a lamp, Matthew 5. And just right there, and, and the, that's a curve. And it used to be a straight line. I said, Chris, you need to make that a curve because it looks like a Greek symbol. We're not a Greek. We're not a fraternity. We're not a sorority. We are a church. You need to make that a curve. And so when he's making his primitive renderings, and I'm dreaming, and I'm writing stuff out, and, and Pastor Car just has the passion. She has the push. She's ready to do what she needs to do in order for us to go where we're going to go. We had to speak life. Because we were outnumbered by the number of people who said we're not going to move. And it's not going to work. I asked six people. So six versus three, we should have gave up. We had to get the guy and say, this is going to work. People will own the vision. Lives will be changed. Families will be healed. Mothers will recover. Kids will live. We had to speak life into it. And now we sit here today two years later, and it's living, and it's breathing, and it's just getting started. You have to speak life. You got to speak life. We don't have the verse. Don't worry about it. Zechariah 4.10 says, God rejoices. Uh, uh, no, I'm sorry. It says, don't despise small beginnings, for God rejoices to see the work begin. Zechariah 4.10. Why, why would God say don't despise small beginnings? Because we as humans have the tendency to despise small things. Not understanding that small is the starting point of God's miracle, of his power, and his might. Speak life. Speak life. Some of you right now, God is calling you to reconsider your career path and reconsider school. And you're saying, man, I'm comfortable here. If I quit on this thing and if I restart, my God, that's going to be so small. It's going to be menial. It's going to be ground level. I'll be an associate. And God is saying, yeah, but you're not fulfilled here. You're lacking here. You can't dream here. You're tired here. I'm trying to get you to start small, and I need you to speak life over it. Speak life. Speak life. Speak life. Speak life. Speak life. I, I pray for y'all every day. Man, they, they will prosper. They will get it. They will dream big. Man, I pray, I pray for this church every day. They will get it. They will not give up. Their strength will not fail. There are doctors in here. There are CEOs, there are founders, there are, you, you will live and you shall not die. You will prosper. You, you will see God's goodness in the land of the living. You, you will. I just speak life until I just get tired of speaking life over you. And that's the problem right now. You need to create distance between you and those who don't speak life. And they may not speak death, but they talking about the same old, same old. Speak life. Mark 5, verse 40. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. <laughs> Jesus, my God, he made them all leave. It says this here. He took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. This is the fourth thing you need to do is you need to distance yourself from doubters. <laughs> like, uh, 
Yeah. This, this is interesting. Historically in this time, it was required for you to hire professional mourners. And uh, Jairus, being a rich man and a very influential man, he would have hired a lot of mourners for his daughter. And so these people would have shown up. They didn't have the heart for his daughter. They didn't know her. They just knew how to cry and how to mourn in order to create an atmosphere of grief. And so these same mourners, when Jesus was in the process of healing her and lifting this situation up, they stopped crying immediately, and they started laughing and mocking him. <laughs> no, and so they, they just switched on him. And, and that's crazy to me. I, I couldn't imagine doing that. So Jesus kicked them out, and this is what God is saying right now. You have professional doubters in your life that God is calling you to create distance from. You don't, you don't have haters, but you do have doubters. And the, the unfortunate part about this is that sometimes those that you want to believe in you doubt you the most. And because of your affection for them, you are magnetized towards their presence. When God is saying, I know you love your mom. I know you love dad. I know you love cousin, brother, friend that you went to school with. But they don't believe in what God believes for your life. So it's not completely expel them from your life. But it is understand and know where they are. That's cool. That's cool. And so... It, it, it can be weird, though. It's like, I love them and I want to be close to them. But God's like, your proximity, your, your proximity to them is preventing me from doing what I want to do and what I need to do in your life. Distance yourself from doubters. Jesus kicked them out. And why did he kick them out? Well, James tells us this, and we're going to be closing out here soon. James 1, 6 through 7 says this. It says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. The word doubt there in the Greek actually means to waver. So Jairus is in the room. He's fully locked in. He has the faith to believe that God is about to turn this thing around. And what Satan does is he plants doubters. And so what these doubters are going to do is they're going to cause Jairus to waver in their belief. God wants to work right through here, Jairus is. God needs you to be in place in order for him to work. God needs you to be stable. God needs for you to believe and not waver. And the verse says this, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So this is the deal. I am praying for a miracle. And when it's just me and God, I have the faith to believe that he's going to do it. But when I go outside and when I interact and when I surround myself, I surround myself with people who are doubters. So God is in heaven like I want to do it, but I can't do it because in one setting you fully believe. In the next setting, you're connected to people who don't believe and all they care about is the things of the world and themselves and carnality. And I can't move through that because when you get involved in that, you begin to doubt. So the daughter stays dead. <laughs> I know you like me. Just talking general, not me. I know you like me. I know you, you love me, inspired. But you're a doubter. You're a doubter. A lot of you right now, you need to write down a list. And I know it hurts because it's people you love. But unless they come up to your level of faith, they're, they're blocking the move of God. And they need to start making some decisions. Are they going to agree with you by faith? Are they going to support you? Are they going to get serious about life? Are they going to get serious about growth? 
Do they want something from God? Do they want more than a paycheck from God? Do they want a purpose? Do they want a vision? Do you want something more from God? You got to write that list. Because if not, you'll continue to waver. You'll look for results from heaven and wonder why. So Jesus had to kick them out. They were doubters. <laughs> Mark 5, 41 through 43. We're going to go home. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up. Immediately. And walked around. It's another thing. Doubters cause delay. The time that Jesus was taken to rebuke them, this girl could have been up. Wow. Write that. Doubters cause delay. The time that Jesus was taking to kick them out, this girl could have been alive. And for some of you, I got to stay there for a minute. This, this something's here. I got I to address this. Some, for some of us, it's not the other people. It's the spirit of doubt within us. And it's this thing where we trust Jesus on Sunday from 10 a.m. to 11.30. But as soon as we're at lunch, hmm, it's that spirit of doubt. You, you could have been up last week. You could have been up last year. You could, have, you could have been up five years ago. But it's that spirit of doubt. It's trusting Jesus with every single area of your life, trusting him with your family, trusting him with your calling, trusting him with your finances. But it's that spirit of doubt that just. Bible says immediately. I want some of you to, you need to leave the spirit of doubt in this church this morning. You're doubting him in certain areas. He's calling you out. And it's time to move forward. The doubt. The doubt. Can I just say something? I don't doubt one promise that God has given me. Go ahead and play mercy. I don't doubt one promise in the scriptures. I don't doubt what God has for your life. I don't doubt the calling and the magnitude of the greatness of the call that God has for this church. I don't doubt it. 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 Don't doubt. God is too good to doubt. You see in the intent of this story, it was Jesus' intent. When he, when he was first told this girl was dying, he was on his way. And there was only reason, one reason he was coming, and that was to lift her up. It is God's intent for you to rise. It is God's intent for you to rise. It is God's intent to turn that scenario into the best case scenario. It is God's heart for you to live. It is God's heart for you to prosper. It is God's intent for you to live. And the fifth thing that you must do is you just got to sit back, sit back and watch Jesus move. Watch him move. Watch him move. Jesus wants to move in your life today. We're going to pray. Every head bowed. Father, we love you. and We give you honor and glory. And God, we just want to watch you move. Watch you move, Lord. God, I thank you that in this story, you are faithful to a woman who was sick for 12 years. And she didn't have much resource. The Bible says, Lord, that she had spent all her money on doctors and therapy and medication. And her last chance was you. Every head bowed. We're in a posture of prayer.
And that God, you just walked on by and she touched you and she was healed in a moment's time. We thank you, Lord, that her healing was public. Then on the other end of this story, there is a young lady, 12 years old. She has all the resource. But in a very short time span, she finds herself deathly ill, separated from the purpose and the promise of God over her life. But God, you still had the wherewithal to heal her and immediately get her up. Jesus, there are those of us in here, we're asking that you would move. We're praying that you would move in our marriages. We're praying that you would move in the gift of singleness. God, we're praying that you would move in our health and the health of our families. We're praying, Lord, that you would move in the lives of our children, our kids. While they're at school, we pray for their protection. We pray for their growth and their prosperity, God. Um, Lord Jesus, we're asking that you would move in the area of finances, Lord. We pray that you would do a miracle. Just move, Jesus. Now, if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, we want to give you a moment. Just want to let you know that your sins are forgiven. God loves you. And today can be the day that you rise. just going to give you to the count of three. If you're coming to Christ for the first time, or if you're coming back to Jesus, you just raise that hand high. We're not going to embarrass you. We're going to celebrate you and pray with you as a church. On the count of three, if you want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life and make heaven your home when you die. One, two, three. Raise it high. Raise it high. God bless you. You can put that hand down. God bless you. Let's celebrate church. Salvation reigns in this place. Hallelujah. All right, let's pray together. Say, Father God, I love you. Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. Make your home in my heart. Forgive me for my sin. I will follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, church.